0: Thank you so much for being with us today. Happy Father's Day. Uh, it is good to, to have you all here. And uh, if you are a father, uh, we have a gift for you. Actually, for all guys today, we have a gift out in the lobby. Uh, for Mother's Day, we gave out a gift to all the ladies. And for Father's Day, we're giving out a gift to all the guys. And so we have root beer and meat out in the lobby, or a.k.a. Slim Jims. So I don't really know how much meat that actually is, but it's out there. Please, if you're a guy here, please take a baggie home and enjoy that. And, uh, yeah. I hope you enjoy today. But uh, today we are in the third week of our series called Summer Love. And this summer we are taking the opportunity to walk through what is known as the love chapter of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, as we've said each week, this is a common passage that is talked about. At uh, weddings, it's read aloud, so you might be familiar with it, even if you aren't a follower of Jesus, or you haven't uh, read First Corinthians 13 before, you might have heard it at a, a wedding or something like that before. But a couple weeks ago, Pastor Corey kicked off our series, and he helped kind of lay the foundation for what the Apostle Paul is doing here in First Corinthians 13. See, in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, he talks about how as the church, we are the body of Christ, and we're called to work together. And there's no part of the body of Christ that can say, hey, I'm more important than this part of the body. We all have to work together. And as the body of Christ, we all have different giftings, uh, spiritual giftings and whatnot. But as the chapter winds up, uh, I just wonder what was going through the Apostle Paul's mind as he was writing that. Because although he said, hey, None of the, there's not one gift that's more important than the others. I'm sure he easily thought, you know what? These people are still going to say, "Hey, my gift is better than your gift," or "Hey, I have this," or "Man, I wish I had that gift." And so he starts chapter 13 by talking about, "Hey, it really doesn't matter what gifts we have if we don't have this one quality, and that quality is love." And so he then goes on and he shares about what love is. And so uh, we're going to be we're talking about that this whole summer. And so just to give you kind of a taste of what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's beautiful to read those words. But the Apostle Paul didn't want us just to read them at weddings. He wanted us to think about them and to let them permeate our life. And so this summer, we're talking about each of these parts of what love is and what love is not so that we as Jesus followers can better look like Jesus and love like Jesus. So last week, uh, if you were here with us, uh, Pastor Andrew Saunders, who is a, the assistant to Pastor Tim, who if you know him, he's our Caris Fellowship coordinator. He was here with us, Pastor Andrew, and he shared on the first part that love is patient and love is kind. And what we see as we move then through the, the text, just very blatantly, is that there are things that the Apostle Paul says that love is, and there are things that he says that love is not. And last week, uh, Pastor Andrew Saunders said that, hey, love is God. Love is Jesus. And we see that in Scripture. And so we, we read that passage and we said that God is patient. God is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. And so when we think about what's an example of this love lived out, the best place to look is the cross. It's to look at Jesus. It's to look at our God. And so today I was thinking, or this past week, I was thinking, what would be a good metaphor or picture for us to think of the opposite? If Jesus is the epitome of love, and he's the example we strive after, what would be a helpful metaphor or image for what love is not? And uh, I was listening to a guy named Tim Mackey. He works at the Bible Project. I love listening to him. And he was talking about this passage, and he gave a good image. He was looking out into the amazing universe God has created, and he was thinking about this reality of gravity. You know, there's gravitational pull wherever we're at. We have gravitational pull, this table does, these chairs do. And if you know what that means, gravity is, we're moving other objects, other matter towards us. Now we're small in comparison to the universe, and so we don't really feel those things. But we do feel it compared to our earth, where our earth, it's constantly pulling us down towards it. It's pulling these chairs down towards it. We feel that gravitational pull. But then the earth itself also has the moon that's orbiting around it. And the moon itself has a gravitational pull, and it's affecting our tides. But then the moon and, and the earth and all the other planets are going around the sun, and so gravity has this incredible power to draw things to itself. But there's one thing in our universe that has stronger gravitational pulls than even our sun or stars, and that, that is black holes. Has anyone ever heard of a black hole? Has anyone ever seen a picture of a black hole? Yeah, you, When you see a picture of a black hole, it's it's a drawing because you can't really see a black hole because gra- the gravity of a black hole is so strong that light itself can't escape it. It's so strong that we can't look into it because there's no light that can escape it, that can reflect out of it. It's It's matter that is so tightly pulled together that everything just gets sucked into it and it stays there. The black hole is just constantly reaching out saying, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine, this is mine. It's just constantly thinking about itself. And as sinful, broken people, that's kind of a good picture of what we are. As sinners, we are black holes of selfishness, aren't we? We're just constantly, everything around us, we're we're taking every situation saying, how can I make this revolve around me and how can I use this to help me and how can I abuse this person to to get what I want and how can I manipulate this situation so then I look good and I can do this so then I, in the end, get what I think I deserve. That's what we do as sinful, broken people. And so as we're going through this series, and especially over the next couple weeks as we're processing what love is not, I think this image of love is not a black hole of selfishness which is exactly what we are, sinful, broken people who are totally depraved. We are the opposite of our God in our sin and selfishness. But the amazing thing is that our God has come to liberate us from that black hole selfishness by dying on the cross for us. So today we're going to start on this path of what love is not. And there's eight things in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And the first thing we're going to look at this week is it does not envy. Love does not envy. Now, I don't know about you, uh, when you've kind of started to think about envy in your life, uh, the first place that I learned about envy was from the Berenstein Bears. Has anyone ever read the Berenstein Bears books before? Yeah? yeah if if you look back there there 's a picture of the book the Berenstein Bears and the green eyed monster yeah that that was the first book that i uh, thing that I remember learning about uh, this idea of envy and uh, to be honest i don 't really remember learning about envy beyond that like i'm just processing it this week that i haven 't often heard the concept of envy or jealousy preached on much or taught much it 's it's one of those things that I see often in kids. Like it's easy to see a kid on a playground like yep, they're they're jealous or a kid at Christmas time, one kid gets a gift and the other kids just like, "Man, how dare mom and dad give them that gift? I wanted that." And you just see it in their face. It's like, yep, they're envious. But as adults, and maybe I'm just talking for me, but I can oftentimes feel like as I'm reading through scripture and the concept of envy comes up or jealousy, it's often like I got that one figured out. Like, I'm good. Like, I read the Berenstain Bears. I'm good. I know that I shouldn't do that. But the idea of envy and jealousy is way more deep and rooted uh, than I think, at least myself, that I give it credit for. And I think it's very strong and a powerful thing. Now, in this passage, in 1 Corinthians 13... Uh, the word that the Apostle Paul uses for envy, it's the Greek word zelo. And in other translations, uh, it'll come across as jealous, that love is not jealous, or maybe the word covet. And so we have a couple of different words that we kind of throw out when we're talking about this idea of envy and jealousy, and they are nuanced, they're slightly different. But the word zelo uh, can be translated in these different ways, and so we need to stop and think about that. What, what, when the biblical tra- translators are looking at this word zelo and they're coming up with different words, it's a, good, it's a good cue for us to say, hey, what what's going on here? There's probably more going on. And so as you learn about the word zelo and the root word it comes from, the idea of zelo is the idea of boiling up or burning up within. You know when you put water on the stove to boil up and it just starts small and it gets those beads of water on the bottom and then it boils up more. And more, and more, and more, and more. And pretty soon, if, if you're not watching, because I'll put, a, put water on and I'll forget about it. I'll go do something around the house. And then I hear that, that steam sound because it's all boiled up and over. That, does that happen to anyone else? Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. I would have been envious that that didn't happen to any of you. But... Or it's this idea of burning up, of smoldering up. You know, when you light a campfire and you light the newspaper and it, just, it starts small and it's just kind of smoldering. And there's not really flame yet, but it's just, you know it's burning, but it's not really fully there. And so it's just slowly smoldering, smoldering, smoldering. And it builds up until you have a fire. And so that's this word zolo. It's this zeal and this passion that burns up or boils up within us And this word zelo does not have to be a negative word. Actually, if you go back just a couple verses in 1 Corinthians 12, so just literally four or five verses earlier, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, the apostle Paul says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. And the the phrase eagerly desire is the word zelo. It's this idea of burning up or boiling up, but it's zealously being passionate for these greater gifts that the Apostle Paul is talking about. So the idea of zelo doesn't have to be a negative thing. In fact, our God is described by such words like Zalo and, uh, and other words that we translate as jealous. In the Old Testament, God is described as a jealous God. In Exodus 20, when God is giving the the 10 commandments to Moses in Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5 it says you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I the Lord your God am a jealous god so what do we do with that when when in the old testament in our english translation it says god is jealous and then we go to the new testament and now we're said that we're told that Love does not get envious or love is not jealous. God is love. And how, how do we put all those things together? And sometimes when we see things like that in scripture, uh, we, we don't need to panic. Uh, we don't need to freak out. Sometimes we can do that because there's like, how does this compute? But, but it does fit together. See, when God is described as jealous or by words like zelo, or the other Hebrew words in the Old Testament that would have had this same idea of boiling up or smoldering up within, it's talking about things that God rightly deserves, or God is rightly owed. In Exodus 20, in that passage, it's talking about how Israel shall not make images in the form of anything above or on the earth below, and that they weren't worship idols. And so God is jealous for what in that passage? He's jealous for his people's worship, because that is something that's only due to him. Nothing else deserves our worship but God, and God sees that, he's like, that, that's rightfully mine. I'm your creator, I've saved you, I'm your redeemer. That is, belongs to me. You shouldn't be giving it to a false God. God's also jealous for his people. And when God brings the Israelites out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, he makes a covenant relationship with them. And in that covenant relationship, if you know the story, God brings them to Mount Sinai, they make this covenant. It's like there's a marriage relationship that happens between God and his people, and the next story is the story of the golden calf, and if you know that story, God's people, after they make this covenant marriage relationship with his people, his people go, and they commit idolatry, or they basically commit adultery, they go, and they worship a false God, and God is jealous for his people's love, because they're in covenant together, And so there are times where this idea of jealousy, of this passionate burning up, zealous just desire within, can be a good thing. It's like nowadays when a a husband or a wife sees somebody flirting with their spouse, there's nothing wrong with that husband or wife being zealous or being jealous of passionately zealowing up within, saying, "You can't do that. They're my covenant partner," and God feels the same way. All right. But here in 1 Corinthians 13, the Apostle Paul isn't talking about positive Zillow. He's not talking about positive jealousy. He's talking about the negative jealousy, the negative envy. He's talking about that black hole selfishness type envy. And this envy, it was throughout the church in Corinth. If you go back in the book of 1 Corinthians to chapter 3, in verse three, chapter 3, verse 3, he says that these people are jealous. So the Apostle Paul knows the hearts of his audience. He knows these people are just constantly just looking at each other and being envious and being jealous. And so this command telling them, hey, don't be envious. Love is not envious. Had very personal ties to the church in, in Corinth. All right, but let me ask you. When you hear the word envy or jealousy, and we're kind of blurring the lines on what they are because the biblical word is this Zolo idea, when you hear those words, what what do you think they mean? Like what comes into your brain? Just just think, because we've all heard those words, but what does it actually mean to be envious of somebody? How would you define that? How would you describe it? Just think about that for a second. I think it's important for us to think about because, again, for myself, I'll just speak for me today. Often ideas of jealousy and envy, I think, are like, those are elementary. I need to move on to the deeper things of my faith. I need to, like, I've already got those things down. But I think when we dig into what envy and jealousy are, it helps us realize, man, maybe this is a struggle in the way I love people. Now, I think a great way, place to go when thinking about envy or jealousy is back to Scripture, to examples we see in the Bible. And one of the best places is from Genesis 37. In Genesis 37, it's the story of Joseph. And if you're not familiar with the story, uh, the patriarchs of Israel, uh, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, his name became Israel, and he had a bunch of sons, all right? His sons became the 12 tribes of Israel then. And one of his sons was named Joseph, and Joseph was loved by his dad. He was so loved by his dad. His dad was favoring him over the rest of his brothers. And in Genesis 37, verse 4, it says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. They see dad's love for Joseph and they hate their brother. And later on in the chapter, it says that they were jealous over their brother. In the book of Acts uh, chapter 7, the story of Joseph is recounted, and it says that uh, Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. And so let's think about that story. In this story, you have Joseph and his dad loves him, all right? And his brothers are down here, and they're seeing this, and they're seeing, hey, Joseph has an advantage over us. Joseph has dad's love. Joseph is the favorite. Joseph gets the cool coat. Joseph gets these cool dreams. Joseph, 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 he's at an advantage. We're at a disadvantage, and we resent him for it. And I think that's really what envy is. It's when I feel that someone has an advantage over me, and I resent them for it. Joseph's brother's, saw Joseph as he's over us and we can't stand that. And if you know the story, what do they do to Joseph? They sell him into slavery. They are so envious and jealous of their brother that it, it slows up within, it smolders up within, it boils up, boils up, until finally they're selling their flesh and blood into slavery. Now again, This is something I see on the faces of my niece and nephews all the time. It's something I see in kids. But what about us as adults? Is this maybe something that we all struggle with? Now, the the thing is, like, in processing this, uh, my envy has never led me to sell someone into slavery. I hope your envy has never led you to sell someone into slavery, (laughs) okay? But let me ask you, has your envy... Ever stopped you from loving somebody the way Jesus would want you to? Has your jealousy ever put up a, a roadblock in your ability to serve someone and love someone the way Jesus has served and loved you? I think this is for at least for me why envy and jealousy is something that I can think, ah, I'm good with, is because I it's I can quantify, I've never let envy lead me to. Sell somebody or commit murder or do anything like that. It's a lot harder to quantify, is my envy stopping me from loving my wife the way I should? Is my envy stopping me from loving my neighbors or my friends or my coworkers or my enemies the way that I should? That, I think, is a lot harder and a struggle, at least for me. Now, I want to keep just processing, what does envy do to us? Just think about what what does that mean to do? If you're at a disadvantage to somebody and you resent them for it, what might that resentment do to you? I think it does some pretty ugly things to us. I think it it makes us ungrateful people. It distracts us from the blessings God has already given us. You know, it's the person who sees their neighbors in the in the driveway, that neighbor has that new car that you've wanted. It's like oh dare they get that car like man i've been saving for that and all the while you're forgetting the fact that you have your own car and you get resentful of them and you you miss out on the blessings that you have or when you're at work and your person next to you gets the promotion and you don't and you're like i've been working here for 30 years how dare they get the promotion and not me And you forget the fact that you have a good job, that you've had stability, that you have a retirement account, that you you miss out on all these things. It distorts your ability to be grateful. I think it also makes us bitter, hard-hearted individuals. It's the single person who who sees people in a relationship or people who are married and they're just, I'm just so bitter at life and at God because I don't have this thing that I want and I resent others. Or it's the married person who sees the single person and says, they have all that freedom. They can do what they want. They can go where they want. I want that. And they just become bitter and hard-hearted. Envy distorts the way we think about life. It distorts the way we think about ourselves. It's the person scrolling through social media and they're like, man, if only I could look like that person. Or man, if only I could parent my kids like this and they get envious of all the perfect kids and the perfect parents they see on social media and they forget the fact that, oh, they're not showing us all the bad things our kid just did. They're only posting the good things. But you know what I mean? Envy, covetousness, jealousy, when we let it take root in our heart, it distorts our whole life. We forget the goodness of God We stop loving people the way we should. And the the scary thing is that envy has no limits. There's no (laughs) limits to envy. We can envy people at work. We can envy people for their looks. We can envy people for their abilities. We can envy our own family members. We can envy our friends. We can envy our enemies. We can envy people who seem to have all the money in the world. And we can envy those people that, that on social media, they just always seem to have the right life. and like. Or we can envy other believers. like They have this gift. They can serve God this way. Like envy knows no bounds. Because remember, our sinful hearts are black holes of selfishness where anything we can grab and say, I want this. This is mine. How dare you? And we suck it into ourselves and we want to hold on to it. And in the end, I truly believe that envy becomes a form of self-torture. In the end, all envy does is hurt you and the people around you. Because as you're a black hole of selfishness, just looking around, as this person gets the new car, and as this person gets the promotion, and as this family member gets all the love from mom or dad, or your kids favor your spouse over you, or however you feel, you just start to become bitter and just resentful, and you stop being able to rejoice with others, and in the end, it just hurts yourself. Envy is not something we should leave for the Berenstein Bears. Envy is something that we need to process as adults. Because I'll tell you what, I'm guilty of it, and I think we all are. Because when there's envy, we can't love the way we should. And so I'm just going to ask a couple questions, and I want you just to process. I want us to think, Do is there potentially an area that maybe I'm struggling with envy or jealousy today? So here, here's the first question. Are you okay when others succeed instead of you? When other people succeed, are you okay with that? Or does envy find its way into your heart and into your mind? How do you react when friends get more attention on social media than you? When they get the more likes or they have the better posts or their life just looks perfect? How do you feel? What goes through your mind when you notice that someone else is better at something than you? I hate that question. Because when I think about it, it's like, yeah, that's me. How do you feel when you enter a room and you know these people are blank than you? When you enter a room and you see that these people are funnier than me, or they're, they're happier than me, or they're wealthier than me, or they're better Christians than me, or they're better looking than me, or they're smarter than me, or... How do you feel? Lastly, are you able to rejoice at the success and blessings that someone else receives? Just think about this. If there was a blank and then it said envy, what would go there? What kind of envy might you struggle with? For me, there's a couple things. One, uh, just maybe this sounds silly, but I can struggle with yard envy. And yard envy... Sounds like what it is. It's, I look out my door, and there's a lady right up the street who has immaculate flowers all the time. And I'm like, how in the world can you take care of so many flowers? I don't know how she does that. But they're beautiful. Or I walk down the street, and I see other people with that perfectly mowed grass. And I'm terrible at like, mowing my grass in those perfectly like, lines that other people do. And I'm like, that's awesome. I wish I could do that. And so envy creeps up. And it may not lead me to sell someone into slavery or to destroy their yards, but it can still creep up. And if I don't watch it, it could take a foothold in the way I treat them. Another one, a more serious one for me, is funny envy. And funny envy is something I've struggled with for a while. It's when I look at people who just have that natural gifting and ability to just make everybody laugh. You know those types of people? Where when you're throwing a party, you're like, I hope this person comes because we're all going to have a good time. My oldest brother is like that. He walks into a room, he comes to a family event, and you just know everybody's going to be laughing. Or there's other people throughout my time at, in college and just life where I'm like, man, I want to be friends with the funny guy. Because if I'm friends with them, then other people will be my friend. And I can let my envy drive me to use and abuse them for their giftings. Because I want to be that type of person. So I can struggle with that. Another one I can struggle with is life stage envy. Life stage envy is something that I don't always struggle with, but from time to time it will creep up where I'm like, man, I wish I was in the next life stage. I wish I had uh, a house, or I wish I could start a family now, or I wish I could do this, or when I was in high school, I wish I could be in college. And there's other times where it's like, I wish I could look back and like, man, I wish I could be a kid again and have no responsibilities and play video games again. Because guys, there are some cool video games nowadays. And it's like, man, I wish I could. But anyway, I don't know what envy you might be tempted with. Maybe yard envy and funny envy and life stage envy. You're like, that's, that's not me, Andrew. That's, that's okay. But what might there be in your heart that might wiggle up? And again, it's not that we're all selling people into slavery or committing murder because of our envy. But if envy's there, the risk is we're not loving the way we should. And that is something we need to take seriously. So, what do we do about envy then? That's the question. Paul tells us that love is not envious. What can we do to combat this envy that we could be prone to? And I have just a couple thoughts. The first is this. Practice rejoicing with those who rejoice. Practice rejoicing with those who rejoice. The Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's the idea of when I walk into a room and I hear they got a promotion, instead of allowing myself to see them as an advantage over me, I choose to say, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. Praise God that he blessed you with that. It's going into a situation where you see uh, that um, that your your family member may, may get dad's love more than you or mom's love more than you or when you enter into a, a room and you see this person is just, they're more gifted at this than me. And rather than being resentful, we praise God for what they have and we rejoice in that. It's being happy for when other people succeed. And that's not easy. But I think that just being able to practice that of when you enter a room, what's our first step when we hear something? Is it, I'm going to step toward envy, or am I going to step toward praise and rejoicing? And I think we can practice that in some very tangible ways. Um, If there's someone that you can struggle with envy, uh, maybe for me, for yard envy, when I walk by that lady's house, rather than keeping all the envious thoughts inside, Praise her for her, her yards. Wow, your, your yard looks so beautiful today. And just actively move towards loving her rather than resenting her in my heart. And so maybe there's somebody you're envious of and you can move towards rejoicing with them. And that's not going to mean, oh, a quick fix, We're gonna, there's no more envy. But I think it's a very practical way and a biblical thing we should do. The second thing is I think we need to seek an attitude of gratitude. On the cover of the Berencene Bear, is sister bear, he's, she's just looking at Brother Bear just with this scowl. And because she is so resentful, that Brother Bear gets the new shiny bike and she doesn't. And I'll tell you what, I've had those sister bear eyes many times in my life where I've looked around. I'm the green-eyed monster. Have you ever heard of that? Someone who's envious is called the green-eyed monster. I've been that green-eyed monster where I just look around. And when I'm doing that, I completely forget all that God has already given me and i just live in this attitude of ungratefulness. and so i think one of the best things we can do is to constantly come back to god in gratitude and to thank him for all that he has given us. because when we think about it he has given us a lot. just look to the cross. look to the fact that he gave us life. look to the the other things that he's blessed us with the tangible material things. And it's hard for envy to take root when we're giving praise to God. The last thing I want to say about dealing with envy, though, is this, that we can't, in order to really deal with envy, we have to locate the source of our envy and not just the object of our envy. What do I mean by that? The object of my envy, of my funny envy, is the person who I think is way funnier than me and who gets everyone's attention. Or the object maybe of your envy is that person who you think has the better looks than you or has the better job than you or the better house than you. That's the object. It's the thing outward that we're, we're craving or the person we're resenting. But the source, the Apostle Paul taught, or, or excuse me, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about the source of where our envy comes. And this is Mark chapter 7, and I would encourage you, if you're going to walk away from anything today, go home and read this passage and think about it. Think about what Jesus says about where our sin comes from. It's from Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. Jesus has just talked to the religious leaders about, they're talking to Jesus about what defiles a person. Because they're seeing Jesus' disciples do all these external things, and they're like, that's defiling them. And Jesus actually, what defiles a person is this. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. It's from within. It's out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come, that sexual immorality comes, that theft comes, that murder comes, that adultery comes, that greed comes, that malice comes, that deceit comes, that lust comes, that envy comes comes it's from our heart and that shouldn't surprise us cuz we're black holes of selfishness as sinful broken people we can't love the way jesus loved until we we realize that hey i need a heart change i need the grace and mercy of jesus to transform my heart and help me to live the way jesus lived and so there's all sorts of practical things i think you could do to deal with envy or jealousy If you're envious of a certain house, don't drive by that house. Or if you're envious of people on social media, maybe get off of social media for a while. Those are all good practical things. But in the end, we're not going to love the way Jesus loved until this gets dealt with. Until we ask Jesus to change our hearts. And if you're a Jesus follower today, if you've taken that step to invite Jesus into your life, you've started that process, but it's not finished for any of us yet. And so throughout this life, we need to constantly be coming back to our Savior, asking Him to continue to work in our hearts. And so the last thing I would say is zealously pray and patiently wait for God's help. If you're struggling with envy or jealousy, first of all, that might be a battle you fight all the way to the grave. But you may still be able to love people the way Jesus loved you if you're seeking to pray zealously. Instead of negatively zollowing other people, why don't we positively eagerly, zealously zelow after our God and ask him to help us with this with our hearts? And so I'd like to encourage you to do that this week, to evaluate maybe where envy is in your heart or jealousy and to not just take practical steps, but to actually come before our savior And admit that, and to ask him, zealously, zelowing after him. Passionately asking him to help, and then patiently waiting for him to help. Two weeks ago, Pastor Corey said, love will always move me from the center of attention in favor of someone else. Love will always move me from the center of attention in order to favor somebody else. And that's a really hard thing to do if we're not asking the Holy Spirit We're not asking our God to help us with that. Because again, our sin nature makes us those black holes of selfishness. But our God is more powerful than our sin, correct? Yeah. And his love is more glorious and more good than we can ever imagine. And he can work and transform our hearts. And so today... This coming week, I want to ask, what does love require of you this week? What does love require of me, of Andrew this week, in order to say no to the envy and jealousy in my life? Because love does not envy. And so I'd I'd encourage you to process maybe where you're at in life right now, because maybe you're struggling with jealousy and envy more than you realize. And maybe you're not, and that's okay. That's awesome if you're not. But maybe you are. And remember, jealousy, envy, looking out, resenting other people, it's only self-torture. It blocks us from loving people the way Jesus has first loved us. And I'll tell you what, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, the love of Jesus is worth knowing. It's worth knowing and it's worth emulating. And if you're here today and you are a Jesus follower, Please, and I'm saying this as much to myself as all of us, we need to stop and evaluate, do we love the way Jesus loves? Because in this life, we're going to struggle. We're going to be black holes of selfishness. We're going to use and we're going to abuse people. We're going to manipulate situations to try to find our own happiness. But the reality is, the only place we can find true happiness is in the love of Jesus, in his grace and mercy. And when we realize, I need to be redeemed from my black hole of selfishness. And I need to go seek others and love them the way he has loved me. So what does love require of you and me this week? Let's think about that and let's go forth and live like Jesus.